Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, so you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien, with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. This is episode 362 with our very special guest via Zoom. We got Mr. Tommy Chong in the house. How's it going, man? It's going great. Could be better. That is amazing. Great attitude to have. Uh, I mean, thanks so much. That I'm glad we got to do this. Again, we, uh, we had like a short two-minute call on Cameo. You got gracious enough to do those Cameo calls. And we were yeah. able to set this up. Are you having a fun time with that? It's kind of a unique way to interact with the fans. I love it. I love I, I love the the you know the TikTok. We're, my wife and I are on TikTok almost uh, every week, uh, and I'm doing Zoom um, cameos. I love it. I love it. You don't have to go anywhere. You, can, <laughs> you, can, you don't even have to wear pants. You know, I love that. <laughs> That's that's the unique thing about COVID, though. Like we've been able to adapt to you know calls just in your house. You don't have to do anything, and you can actually have face-to-face conversations with people that you probably wouldn't be able to if it was in person. It's a lot easier. For sure. Absolutely. Be too busy. You know, <laughs> too busy running around doing a lot of useless stuff. But, uh, no, I, 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 I love – well, you know, I love my life. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm uh, really at peace with myself, and, uh, and I just love everything that's going on around me, regardless if it's uh, – uncomfortable or comfortable or whatever, you know, it's all good. That's an awesome attitude to have, man. And I'm so pumped to talk to you today about so many different things. Would love to pick your brain, you know, about kind of, you know, your music inspirations. Obviously, you're big in the cannabis world and the marijuana world as well. Um, You know, acting, obviously, Cheech and Chong, you guys have been, you know, together for 40 plus years, you know, 50, you know, uh, but first things first, I do want to, you know, give a shout out to, to great vibes, your new CBD, um, uh, line. What, what kind of inspired you to do that in, in that regard? Well, you know, uh, my son Paris, uh, he, he, and, uh, my, our partner, John Paul, uh, Cohen, we, um, started exploring as soon as we became legal, uh, you know, medically uh, in Colorado, I think first, and and then uh, then everywhere else, uh, we we started, you know, putting getting involved in the business because I, I've been an advocate forever, you know, and uh, and then we, we we with the research we found out that the CBD is. Uh, doesn't have the the amount of THC in there that would qualify it as a, uh, you know, mood-alterating or or as a drug, you know, what used to be illegal. So so we immediately got into the CBD business, and we hooked up this great great company, and uh, they got me on all the 
all the social networks and you know I, I'm, I'm i'm one of those guys that's a pain in the ass for a lot of people because every time they open up their computer i'm there selling my cbd <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like sweet revenge you know i i, I you know because i i i like uh i, I i'm a I, I like advertising you know like i watch car advertising and, and I, it makes me want to buy a car. Yeah, <laughs> you know, even though I don't need one, uh, you know. So I and I like ads. That, that's and and that's actually been our our entertainment while we've been locked down. You know, you get hooked on on, on some of these ads because they're so well done and they're so psychologically well done. Oh, you know? yes. yeah, and and you can learn a lot off that. You know, uh, uh, there was a time, you know, when people really kind of dissed uh, any kind of advertisement. That was, what was the word? Oh, it's so commercial, so commercial. But to me, it's information. You know, I, I like learning and I like finding out things. Now, I'm not that keen on remembering, <laughs> but I definitely like... Uh, the excitement of, of or, or the thrill of learning something. And I think I learned that in prison, you know, because when, when I did time in jail, uh, I hooked up with an old con that had been there forever. <clears throat> and I, I told him, I said, uh, teach me how to do time. You know, teach me how to do prison time. And the first thing they, they, they teach you, or he taught me, was reading, mm-hmm. reading books. He said, you'll never get a chance like this ever. You know, and so I, I got into uh, reading and, uh, and just exploring. And uh, that was one thing about Cheech. Cheech is a, a great reader, you know, and, and, and he has a great memory. And so him and, and my wife, uh, Shelby, they always have great conversations because they've always read the latest book, which I haven't read. <laughs> because with me, unless it has something to do with music, sports or or uh, drugs i'm not really interested <laughs> <laughs> did you did you watch the mayweather paul fight this sunday no i never what happened i it's just getting a ton of mixed reviews i, I was gonna want to try to get your take on it but like it was more of like kind of obvious that it was rigged and that it was kind of just a money grab for those two guys you know that no one was, no, no one was going to get her Exactly, and yeah, yeah. that's the plan. But, like, well, but you know, that's that's way 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 Mayweather fights anyway. Oh, yeah. you know, you know, he doesn't like, he doesn't like to get hit, and that's why he's just so successful. Oh my God! Yeah. No. But well, think about it, man. You get you you get bumped accidentally by one of those guys, and and you're hurting for months. You know, oh can you imagine getting in the ring and and then going at it full speed to hurt yourself? I, I've watched. Uh, the uh, Ali uh, Fraser fights, both of them. Oh, I I felt so so bad for Muhammad Ali more than more than Joe because because Joe was hopped up on something, you know, <laughs> he was drinking some kind of juice <laughs> because that's the only reason he could stay there, you know. Except when he when Joe got in there with uh, uh, Foreman. <laughs> <laughs> his rope of dope he almost got sent over the ropes <laughs> but, yeah I know I didn't I didn't see that that fight no but that, that would have been very interesting at least me looking back at it I'm 22 years old so uh you got a few miles on me but oh yeah I I would have loved to been alive during that era whether it be the Ali Frazier era or even Tyson and Holyfield and all these big fights back when boxing was like the shit back in the day you, you met Muhammad Ali, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I got to know him. I, I got to know him. <laughs> Can I tell you about Muhammad Ali's story? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bobby Taylor, the singer that I was in the band, you know, that, I, that really got me on the map, right. uh, went to the Olympics with Muhammad Ali. Uh, Bobby, apparently, Bobby was one of these sort of shadowy guys, um, you're not really sure. Uh, he was one of these guys that knew everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> intimately. 
And so I don't know the whole story about him going to the to the Olympics with Muhammad Ali. But anyway, I know for a fact that Muhammad Ali and, and Bobby uh, were friends. They knew each other. And so uh, right when he was he lost his, uh, you know, the judge or the government took away his title and he was going around giving uh, shows and speeches, <clears throat> he was in San Francisco. And he had a, a, a little night uh, uh, affair, one night affair with a friend of mine who, who was a, a stripper, a dancer named Scarlett, uh, <laughs> Lady Scarlett. And so, just by coincidence, I'm I'm going. I I was in San Francisco, and then Lady Scarlett told me, you know, oh, guess who I was with? You know, Muhammad Ali. And so I was heading into Detroit the next day. So I got on the plane, went to Detroit, and then I got home, and Bobby called me. He says, hey, come on over. The champ's coming over. Muhammad Ali's coming over to my apartment. So I got in the car and went, and I happened to get on the elevator exactly with Muhammad Ali. Now, he didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. And so we're riding up to the same, we're going to the same place. Well, he doesn't know about it. And so, and he's kind of ignoring me, you know. He he nodded, but he he's looking at the wall, you know. Uh, he doesn't want to get in any conversation. And so I'm, I'm riding up there, and so halfway up, I said, uh, "Oh, uh, Lady Scarlet says to say hi." <laughs> <laughs> that probably wasn't he, knowledge. He turned and looked at me. His eyes got all big, you know, that mop and that. Mohammed Ali looked. He looked at me like, "You the devil!" <laughs> <laughs> and then we walked to the same door. And, and Bobby, hey, Jeff, what's up, man? Hey, this is Tommy Chong. This is the, uh, oh, you guys know each other. <laughs> and so we took pictures. But my, you know, my uh, first wife was there, you know, so we couldn't get into any, any detail about Lady Scarlet. But <laughs> he, he was so shocked, man. And, oh, we had a laugh at that. Because oh, he, he, he was that, you know, you know the, the, those guys back then, and probably still now, but more back then, they were, like, kind of into the voodoo, you know, the black magic stuff, you know? That was really... I mean, yeah, he was a Muslim, and before that, you know, he was, he was, I guess, a Christian. But, but the, but all of them got that voodoo, you know, that the hate. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, that's not the type of guy you want to piss off. You know, you know, he he was, he was more more than just an athlete. Right. You know? He was way more than just an athlete. And and so, I mean, you think about how ahead of his time he was. Oh my God! In every which way, you know, they were still trying to put nicknames on on black people. You know, the brown bomber, the assassin, the blah blah. You know, just like pro wrestlers. You know, because once you put a nickname on tag on someone, you take away the human qualities. Oh, yeah. And you make this sort of like a superhero, uh, mythical person, you know. And I noticed that in Calgary, where I grew up, the the football players, all the black ones had nicknames, you know, Sugarfoot Anderson, you know, and and all these, all this just blatant racist uh, uh, tags, you know. But times have changed, and, and like. When Muhammad Ali went from Cassius Clay to, to Muhammad Ali, man, I mean, it, it, it just shocked and pissed everybody off. Everybody off, including a lot of black people, too, mm-hmm. you know. It, because, you know, well, well, America does, they, they demonize uh, anything black, you know, like Muslims. Huh? Also, it's so black Muslims. Well, there's it, always been black Muslims, you know. <laughs> But in America, all of a sudden, the black Muslims. Oh, man. But times are changing, aren't they? Uh, 1,000%, probably. I mean, you probably went through it yourself, you know, being one of, like, the first big-time celebrities that, like, knowingly, publicly, you know, smoked marijuana and all of this stuff, because it was not accepted back in the day. Oh, yeah. Oh, 
yeah. I mean, to this day, I mean, Cheech and I are, are literally blackballed from the. I, I was just looking at an article I did, you know, from the, from the, you know, the, the when you list comedians, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we're not we're not in the list, you know, uh, we're not on the list, and, and like we've never hosted Saturday Night Live, for instance, but Saturday Night Live had their actors playing Cheech and Chong, you know. And so that's like a cancel culture uh, trip right there, you know. So, oh, yeah, yeah, we've had it. But you know what? Uh, it's it's a medal of honor. You know, it puts us apart from, from the, the crowd, you know, in so many ways, you know. We just finished uh, uh, shooting uh, a documentary. Oh, wow. Uh, it's more like a, a film. Mm-hmm. It's beyond documentary. It's 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 a little more than a documentary, and uh, and that's what that, that you know because we had to rehash our our, our history and our lives and that you know and and, th- and and just shooting it, thinking about it, you know, we 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 changed so much for so many, and we're still doing it. You know, oh yeah, and and it's you know people you, you know they when they look at people like myself you know they they kind of think in terms of well he's he's really famous you know but but it, it, it all came with a price you know and and that was the price but it, but it pays off in so many ways like not being on Saturday Night Live it, it become uh, a, a plus, <laughs> you know, not a minus, you know. Wow. And and uh, yeah, uh, and I accept it, you know. Uh, one of the things when, when Cheech and I uh, just finished this movie, part of the movie they wanted some conflict of, with between Cheech and I, and so we started uh, digging up old wounds, you know, like why we broke up, and. Uh, and it was it was it was uh, what do you call it? soul searching, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you think about what we had, I mean, we were locked in. But then again, because we weren't really a comedy duo in that sense, the the traditional sense. Like uh, they usually each act has their own comedy act, and then they decide well. If we team up, we can go a lot further. That was nice, you know. That was nice. Uh, we, it was all sort of serendipity, kind of put together in such a, a kind of a freaky way that I had no control over it. Cheech never had any control over it. Nobody had any control over it. You know, it was like the universe saying, "Okay, you guys, we need you. Uh, it's yeah. your turn." get in there and this is what you got to do and uh, good luck. <laughs> right. It was meant to happen. Like there was going to be a few yeah. bumps in the road. Maybe still are like, it's been a long journey obviously, but that's what you were meant to do. Like, that's like your, I want to say your masterpiece. You've done a lot of stuff, but you know yeah. what you've done with, with Cheech, like just the chemistry you guys have and everything that you've been through. I mean, it's pretty astonishing to see what you guys have accomplished throughout the years. Yeah. It, and it wasn't really for us personally. Yeah. You know, Cheech, Cheech sacrificed uh, because his sacrifice, believe it or not, was uh, was his image. Mm-hmm. You know, because he 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 dove into a very uh, you know frowned upon by the Latino community image. You know. Uh, you know that usually that it was a non-Hispanic guy would 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 play that character. You know, but but Cheech not only played it, but he but he created he he created a whole genre. You know, he took those you know the lowrider image and 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 made it made it not only acceptable but gave it gave it some kind of cred that is still there. You know, and uh, because it wasn't him, you know that the the Cheech is very well educated, and 
and you know can hold his own with everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in the in the white world, so to speak. You know, but uh, but you know he sacrificed, and and this is what we're talking about. Because we could have stayed, we could could have stayed together, and you know, blah blah blah. But everything we did was from a very honest point. You know, when Cheech realized that he didn't have to play that character, you know, that he could become, you know, who he really is, then, you know, that 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 was a, a sign of success. Oh yeah, us, you know? because it, with us it wasn't about it was never about money. You know, we we never went into thinking, oh, you know, we're going to make a fortune, and then when we're when we're done, you know, blah blah blah, you know. And well, just like the the fight, what's the name, <laughs> Mary Mayweather fight? Right. You know? I mean, all all they're doing now is just cashing in on the on the on the publicity, the glory, you know. Right. Like Tyson could have done that had he not bit uh, <laughs> Holofield's ear. <laughs> You know, you know. I mean, that could have been Tyson's thing, you know. But, but Tyson, you know, he's a, he's like teaching Chong. He's a wild man. Oh yeah. You know, and, and he was there just for, uh, you know, until until, you know what I what I told people, and I still maintain, uh, you know, why did you guys break up? I I did this in an act, and and my answer was we got rich. And the truth is, you can't make a rich Mexican do shit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd say, Teach, come on, we got to work. Say, I don't think so, man. You know, I'm going to stay here and do something for my people. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going I'm to learn Spanish. <laughs> 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 and it got a big laugh, but so true in so many ways. Oh, my you know? God, for sure. You guys- because once, yeah. You guys uh, did the uh, Hotbox podcast with Tyson, right? Yeah, we did. We did. What's that like? Because, like, I see it on video, and I'm like, man, that looks like a lot of fun. But at the same time, like, you're in Well, they had to edit it. <laughs> they had to edit it down because there was a lot of dead space <laughs> on that show. I had my guy from TikTok, you know, Clayton. He was sitting in the audience, and he could read my mind, you know, because, you know, TikTok, boom, we're, we're, we're right. in and out of it. <laughs> Tyson thing, there were like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of silence. You know, we're just sitting there all stoned. But Tyson was great, man. Oh, he loved Cheech and Chong. Oh, yeah. Because he, he loves to laugh. He, he's a comedian. Oh, yeah. He, he's got a com- comedic uh, sense of, of everything he does, you know, because he's a very special guy, very special and honest, honest to a to a point, you know, okay. just so honest. That's what I loved about Mike, you know. <laughs> the teach asked him, he says, uh, "You were the first to get a tattoo on your face. Uh, what was what was the the, the story behind it?" You know? And teach was kind of like. I guess kind of going intellectual, you know, because people do things, you know, because they they read, you know, the mark of something. <laughs> and Tyson says, uh, "Why did you do?" You know, when she said, "Why did you do the tattoo?" He "Because I'm a wild man. <laughs> I'm wild man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crazy." <laughs> <laughs> Such a great answer. <laughs> that is the perfect answer. And that was probably a blast. I mean, you, you've probably, throughout the years, and you've probably gotten this question on any every interview you've ever done, but I guess I kind of wanted to um, ask you what some of the more exciting experiences when it came to smoking with either celebrities or just people that you're close with have been. Do you have specific ones? Like, I'll, I'll give you, like, a top three of, what, like, some of your favorite stories of people that you've smoked with over the years. Well, I, I, I guess Timothy Leary was was one, you know. Uh, he wasn't that much into pot as he was into acid and uh, yeah. ketamine, ketamine. You got to try that ketamine. Uh, I had a great conversation with Timothy because uh, he was going on about, you know, leaving Earth and getting a spaceship and finding another Earth, you know. 
I guess that was his message when he got high. Uh, but I, I, I had, a, I was at odds with him. I, I told Tim, I said, "We're on a spaceship. It's called Earth. <laughs> We're going through space in comfort." <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? That's why you know when they talk about uh, you know the UFOs, you know this this intelligence from another. You know what they are the most. You know what they are the UFOs. They're drones. Like we send drones to Mars. Can you imagine some Martian going, "Oh, the space people are here. I saw them flying around." You know, they're drones. <laughs> when you're that evolved that you can send drones to another uh, planet, that's evolved evolution, you know. And, and I believe, I told Joe Rogan this, that, that Earth, that this universe that we see is ours. There's no other life on it but ours. And, uh, yeah, because we're trapped in, in that time bubble. Because we're on Earth. We're on Earth time, you see. And so, and we're the only ones on Earth time. And so it's very conceivable that we are, this universe is ours by virtue of how far we can go while we're on our spaceship, you know. We can send drones anywhere. And we can look on TV and say, gee, I wonder what that is, you know. But to actually be there, we don't have to be there. Because once you're evolved, you see, right, what we are now, we're like uh, like um, the butterfly and, and, and the caterpillar, okay? We're coming out of the caterpillar, coming into the butterfly. We're not quite to the butterfly yet, where we can fly and... and do that yet, but we're close. And in, 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 in a few years, evolution will be at that at that point. If no, but I, I take it back. We will always be here. This is the school. And but our spirit, see, our spirit is what travels and has no bounds because there's no. I mean, there can be countless. Well, like Jesus said uh, when he was uh, on the cross. Or where he was preaching, he said, there are many mansions in my father's house. Meaning, there are many universes in eternity. And we, right now, we, 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 we are definitely in, in the lower echelons <laughs> of, the, of the thing. You know, we still got people that believe in Trump, for instance. <laughs> that's how far we have to go with our evolution. <laughs> they're the ones that are kind of dragging their knuckles on the ground uh, because they haven't quite, quite got out of the, the tree habit, you know. <laughs> and uh, But that's cool because we've all gone through that. And, and this is what happens uh, in the Earth experience because that's what we're doing now. We're in... We're in uh, probably grade three, maybe grade three, maybe a little out of elementary in, in the space of, uh, of what we have to learn. But uh, the great thing, like I told Tim, is that, uh, yeah, we're not only on a spaceship, but, oh, man, we're, we're here for as long as we need to be, you know. And then when we evolve, we go somewhere else. So don't worry about that spaceship, Tim. Now, I talk about other people getting high with probably George Harrison, you know, of the Beatles. Now, I was, I've met all the Beatles except Paul. And I've gotten stoned, not with them, but in their presence. Oh, wow. Uh, with like John Lennon. I, I didn't know he was in the room. You know, he was sitting on the floor. <laughs> he was a, a really, really true hippie, man. I, I'm in Lou Adler's bedroom, you know, smoking a big, fat, stinky joint. And uh, I look over, there's someone sitting on the floor. Oh, it's John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I walk over and offered him a toke, and he goes, uh, I know, mate, you know, we get troubles with, uh, with the immigration. Okay. So then I don't know what to do. I'm kind of, well, this is John Lennon. I'll stare at him for a while. <laughs> and, uh, and then Rod Stewart walks in the room. And, of course, Rod goes right over to the, uh, to the mirror and starts fluffing up his hair, you know, trying to get that unruly hair to be on more unruly. <laughs> and so I offered Rod, said, hey, Rod, you want to hit? And he goes, I don't know, my throat. And I don't blame him because it was a stinky joint. It's one of those, is there a skunk in here or something? <laughs> uh, and then I walked out. After I, 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 then I thought, well, I better put this joint out. Nobody wants it. So I walked out into the, into the hallway, and I run right into Jack Nicholson. You know, and I'm a big fan of Jack Nicholson's acting, you know. And so, and I'm stoned. And so right away, I see Jack, and Jack, I love you in that last detail, that movie. Oh, it's great, man. Tell me. And, you know, I'm talking to him like I've known him all my life. I said, Jack, that scene where you're combing your hair, it, like, took forever, man. Now, did you, was that improv, or was that written in the script? <laughs> and he said, uh, excuse me, man, you're kind of in my way. <laughs> <laughs> he shot me down like, <laughs> But it was, it was a crazy party, man. It was such a crazy party. My dad, I, I brought my dad to it, you know, and um, <laughs> I can't, well, I think it was when we opened for the Stones. I think, yeah, I think that's what it was in Lou Adler had a party. But anyway, Mick Jagger, my dad's standing in line, and Mick Jagger is in front of my dad at the food line, and, and Mick is talking to somebody, and my dad's, Excuse me, sir. Do you want to move along? <laughs> Trying to get some food here. And my my dad had no idea who Mick Jagger was. And to this day, he, he never would. You know, it was, wasn't his cup of tea. But yeah, we. I've I've had some interesting, uh, you know, things. Uh, one time, uh, I was just watching TV, and they're they're talking about was Jimi Hendrix murdered. Yeah. And I just, you know, I was with Jimi months before he died, you know. It was kind of freaky because uh, he was kind of in between gigs, if you can imagine. Wow. And, and we were playing, we, we, were, we were in England playing at, uh, at uh, some club, what was it? It wasn't a club. It was a theater with backing up Chris Clark. And Chris had started doing uh, one of the Beatles songs, Got to Get You in my, Into My Life. And I think that was one of the reasons they had us over there. And one of the perks was that uh, our band, Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's, had a, uh, they had a, got us a gig at, a, at a, a club called the Speakeasy, I believe. And... Uh, Anyway, we're playing. We just started playing away in first set, and Jimmy walks in with a big entourage. The club was empty until he walked in, and then he had like a hundred people behind him. Walked in like the prince, you know. And he walks up to the stage. He goes, "Hey, Tommy, mind if I sit in?" And first of all, that's Jimmy Henry. Second of all, he called called me by my name, and then I realized I, I found out later that he was from Seattle. And he was aware of our band because he had played in all these other IZ brothers and all that other. He was an R&B uh, guitar player. So he knew who Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's were. And, and I think he, used, he would come up to Seattle, from Seattle to Vancouver to see us play in our after-hours club. <clears throat> anyway, uh, I took off my guitar. And, uh, you know, I'm really thrilled. He's a left-handed guitar player. And so he says, uh, no, mate, I'll, I'll, I'll play bass. And so our poor bass player, man, he's a big, young kid, black kid. He's a big Jimmy fan, and he had to take off his bass and hand it to Jimmy. <laughs> and Jimmy played the shit out of this bass, man, right-handed. Not left-handed, but right-handed. 
Oh, man. That night was so special. But they had to pull the plug on us because we wouldn't quit playing. He wouldn't quit playing. You know? He was in his glory, man. Oh. Because cause one of the things, you know, when you start when you start off, you're, you're playing in a band, uh, one of the thrills is that that's your gig. You're playing all night, you know, not just a show. And that was one of the things when you start doing shows that you had that one shot at it, you know. And, and, and yeah, but when you're playing dance, you can cruise, you can kick back the first set, you know, maybe play a little jazz along with your hot hit tunes and second set, third set you're playing, and maybe the last set then you kick back a little bit, you know. So he, he really missed that, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And so after the, the gig, we all, we all went up to our hotel room, you know, because all the rest of the band, man, they were like, like me, you know, just blown away. We got Jimmy, man, and Bobby Taylor was one of those. Uh, he would act like he'd known Jimmy all his life because he probably did, you know, you know somehow. Uh, but anyway, Jimmy gets to our, our hotel room, goes in the bathroom, and we don't see him the rest of the night. <laughs> he, he, he stayed in the bathroom the whole night because you know what he did, you know, he was shooting up and uh, we're out in the other room smoking pot and looking at each other. Look at Jimmy Hendrix in the bathroom, man. <laughs> And that was it. That was the last time we saw Jimmy. Wow. I mean, that had to be a surreal experience. Just, I mean, having your bass player, just, I'd be honored if it was like, yeah, sure, take my stuff, take all of it, you know, kick ass. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, in, in a way, it was, oh, you know, you know, a nice cap on that story? This is freaky. Tell it. Next night, next day, we're on our way to the airport. That was our last night there. And we're riding in a limousine that the Beatles would ride around in. Right. And so we're not only, you know, playing with royalty, but now we're in a limo. limo. And everybody starts talking about Hendrix. And then there was a lull in the conversation. And I said, and I remember this clearly, I'm going to be bigger than Hendrix. And And the band... It got really quiet. They all looked at me because we were, I was, musically, I was at the low end of the totem pole compared to the rest of the guys. You know, the drummer was phenomenal. We had another guitar player, Eddie Patterson, still phenomenal. You know, with the guitar hands and everything. Uh, Bobby Taylor, the vocalist, was supreme. Blew everybody away. I was the weakest guy in the band, but I wrote the song, so that's that was why I was there, and and I owned the club, and that was another reason why I was there, and and, and I've always hired people that I can learn from, you know, uh, never never had to be the the top guy. I'd rather be the bottom guy, learning from the top guys, you know, and and the only difference between me and them. It was the hours of practice that they put in, and I never did. <laughs> and so, so when I said that, I'm going to be bigger than Hendrix, everybody stopped talking in the car, and they all looked at me. And the drummer, who, he was, he, he, he never liked anybody, but he, he, he but when, when anybody, he'd bust everybody. And, when, and so he said, uh, you're going to be, you're going to be bigger as a guitar player? And I said, you know, because he, he knew my weakness. I said, no. I said, I don't know how, but I know I'm going to be bigger. And that was the end of the conversation. And then months later, Jimmy died. And now I am going to be bigger than Jimmy. <laughs> I'm going to be more alive than Jimmy anyway. <laughs> I have more time than Jimmy now to be bigger than Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. unbelievable. That is an unbelievable story. I mean, just alone getting to see him play up front with you guys. I mean, you guys yeah. have the honor of watching an eight-year-old Michael Jackson perform in front of you, too. Like, who's the they, most you've ever seen perform live? They, uh, oh, Michael? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah we, well, that whole tour. 
That whole tour was, it was all done during uh, the march on, the Poor People's March on Washington. Okay. We recorded Does Your Mama Know About Me while Detroit was smoldering. It was still burning from the riots. And our band, were, it was a mixed band, you know, white guys, black guys. And we were the only mixed band around. And there were times when we had to protect the white guys. And uh, because I, I was kind of in between. You know, I wasn't white, I wasn't black, but I was in between. Right. But there were white guys that we had to protect, like in, in Chicago. They got mugged in Chicago, the white boys. Uh, when they went to the cops, the cops said, well, we know who did it. If you guys want to stick around and, and press charges, we'll go get them. But if not, forget it. And no one wanted to stick around, so it was like, forget it. Uh, but that time was... was that's when Martin Luther King was going. That's when L.A. riots were happening. Uh, Detroit riots were going on. I mean, it was like turmoil everywhere. And it was a race war. And it's still going on. But but when we got to Detroit, and does your mama know about me? It was just that songs. Diana Ross heard it. And, and right away, she. that's when she told Barry, and that's when he signed us. No, actually, it wasn't the song. Uh, she heard us in the in, in, in the in the club that we played, but it was it was that that song was part of the Vancouver's when we got to Detroit. Next thing you know, we come out with the first uh, uh, you know anti-racist song, mm -hmm. and then right away, uh, all the writers shifted you know for for Diana Ross, you know, the Love Child. And, Papa got a brand new, you know, Papa was a Rolling Stone, and all these, all these songs come up, you know, the, the songwriters. But I, my, my song, Does Your Mama Know About Me, was the very first, it was a poem. I wrote a poem, and, uh, and Tom Baird, uh, our arranger, you know, friend of ours, friend of the bands. We had, we had, our band was so cool, because, because of Bobby, and, uh, and no, Tommy Milton, the other singer too. He had that that charisma too. Um, all the good musicians would come and sit in with us when they weren't playing their gigs. You know, like P.J. Perry from Edmonton, great alto player. You know, he's kind of guy that would make you think of Charlie Parker when you heard him play. And and he would come in and sit in. And so we'd have an all-star band wherever we went. You know. Well, like Jimmy did. That's what Jimmy came and sat in, just like all those guys, you know. So we had all the, all the people, all the great people, uh, all the and some of the great blues singers, you know, when they were in town, they'd come down, and sit in with our band, because because we had that, we had that feel, mm -hmm. you know, we had that feel, we had that, playing music for the love of the music. And not for the club, not to, to make money, not to, you know. I mean, then you got paid. That was a plus. Yeah. But the biggest, the biggest aim was to get together and play tunes that we heard, not on the radio especially, but someone heard, and you got to hear this one, you know. Like for a while there with Bobby Taylor, we did uh, the whole um uh, the, uh, the impressions, Curtis Mayfield and the impressions, we did their whole songbook. And when we got to Detroit, uh, you know, Detroit's at Motown and, and, and the attempts and everything else, but we got up there and, and did the Curtis Mayfield songs. And Barry Gordy was sitting in the front row and he kept calling me over. And, uh, what's the name of that song? Did you write that song? <laughs> we said, no, it's uh, from the uh, impressions. Oh, okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah all right. <laughs> Very resilient truth, man. Oh, my God. I mean, you, you've been, you know, doing so many different things, whether it's music, whether it's comedy, acting. Uh, list doesn't have to be in that order, but given that you've done all these different things, who is by far the most funny comedian that you've ever been around and, you know, vice versa, best musician, best actor, and who have you kind of learned from throughout all of these processes? Well, you learn from everybody, mm -hmm. you know. I, I probably learned as much from Mums Maberly as I did from from Red Fox or Richard Pryor. Uh, one of the greatest 
compliments we've ever had was right after we did Up in Smoke, uh, we, we had a dispute with our former management, and we and Cheech and I were basically unemployed, so we we had us go back on the road as comedians, and we had work for months, you know, because of the the movie. And so we opened at uh, the comedy store. You know, we did a week there, and the first night we got off stage, and Richard Pryor was holding out his hand to help us off the stage. That was probably just like being knighted by the Queen. You know, Richard Pryor, the funniest man at that time, holding his hand out saying, welcome to the club. You know, that was that was sweet. Uh, yeah, the, the, when we got into the comedy world, Cheech and I, well, because before the comedy world, you know, it was a, it was a music thing, but uh, the band, all the bands that I were, was in, had to be funny for, for one reason was that when we first started playing rhythm of blues i was 17 and we met uh, i met tom or tommy knew me uh, tommy milton he was like the singer he was a football star running back <clears throat> and then he, he knew of this kid bernie sneed who played piano and uh and so we met, I met Bernie, and then that's when I met my first wife, Maxine. Maxine was Bernie's sister. And then I met the younger brother, Floyd. Well, Floyd, he's still alive. He's got a little problem with uh, dementia. But he was one of the funniest, most talented kids I have ever had the pleasure of watching grow up. I watched him grow up from, I think he was 11 at the time when I met him. Then he he grew into a man and he ended up being our drummer for a, quite a while. Then he grew into this big six foot plus punk, you know. <laughs> and then uh, he played with us until him and the Tommy got in a big fight on that argument and Floyd, we watched Tommy, we watched this kid grow up, you know, all of a sudden he's big and not only big, but he played hockey. Now, that's a clue. When you play hockey and you're that big and you're black, one thing you can do is fight. <laughs> and not, not, I, I take it back, one thing you can do is hurt people <laughs> because there wasn't, wasn't much of a fight. My brother used to fight. But Floyd and it, the, that type, they would hurt people. <laughs> it would take one shot, boom, and they're down. Well, Floyd was, like I said, one of the funniest guys ever. See, he's still alive, and he's still funny. And he's an artist, too. He, I got some paintings of him. Uh, but he, his humor, that's where I got to, where I, I was inspired not Not consciously, but subconsciously, because I've been around him. And he was, he'd babysit kids, you know, when he got around 12, 13. And, and he would have fun with these kids. Like, he, he would take them when they act crazy or bad, or even if they didn't do anything, he'd pick them up and hang them on a door. <laughs> and they'd be hanging there. <laughs> and, and then they'd say, no, you stay there until I, I, I bring you down, okay? <laughs> And you don't, you don't the door, you don't the door, and here be a kid come around there as a kid hanging on the back of the door. Well, he 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 amused himself and he amused everybody, but he also kept the kids from running around and doing all crazy stuff. And and he Floyd, he just had this great talent, and he started off playing bongos first, but then he evolved into being a, one of the best drummers. He ended up being the the founding drummer of the Three Dog Night. So the, the group, the Three Dog Night, the original, that's Floyd. The only black guy in the whole white band. <laughs> and not only white band, but there, a couple were racist. They were from uh, the South. And so they, you know, they, they weren't that keen on, on Floyd, but Floyd, <clears throat> Floyd was so good. He was the best drummer in, in L.A. at that time. And that's why he got picked to be in, in the band. 
but he right now he's in he's in assisted living because he has a bit of dementia. But even now he's he's still being funny. Uh, well, Bobby Taylor, when when we got signed with Motown, we never had a name for the group. To show you the comedy, we um, we heard about these uh, this band in the South called Ten Screaming Ends. You know the N word. It was Ten Screaming Ends, and so then we thought, why don't we call ourselves Four Ends and a C? <laughs> and of course, Motown, Motown didn't even react. They they just ignored it. And we said, called us Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's. That was that was our Motown name. But our original name was Four C's, Four N's, and a C. And my dad, who was a C, he was Chinese. He uh, he was unaware that we put it on the marquee. <laughs> so everybody could see it. And it made national news, of course, it would. Uh, AP Press phoned me up and wanted to know if that's true. And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> and that, that night that was open <laughs> with that name on the marquee, we had one customer, and it was a very angry, black, large black lady named Lottie the Body. She was a lady wrestler. Ah, there you go. And, and, and so she's sitting in the audience. She goes, well, I see the ends, but where's the C? <laughs> and my dad, who was the C, he, he comes up and starts giving her a lecture. Well, Lottie gets up and grabs my dad and body slams him on, on, the, on the dance floor. And I went, oh, this is my dad. I took out my guitar, and I run down there, and she body slams me <laughs> That's <laughs> And then all the all the ends, all my buddies are up there on the stage laughing like crazy. And they do better than to get in any kind of ruckus with, with Lottie the body. And so in the end, my brother and, the, and, the, and the, I think, well, no, just, I guess my, just my brother kind of calmed Lottie down and took her out. And so we had to change the name. And so it went from four ends and a C to... Um, Four colored guys and a Chinese lad. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's. Yeah. Oh my God. That that probably wouldn't have gone well over. Even the, the new name probably wouldn't have gone well over today. No. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Well, I I got mixed feelings about that, you yeah. know. Uh, of course I have. Now lately I've been watching the Dean Martin Roast. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a slice of time that I that I I, I grew up, you know, in, in that era, era. And they're jokes, man. <laughs> you couldn't even do any. You couldn't do the the whole show if it wasn't the fact that they already it's already done. That show would never. <laughs> you know, they're not going to roast anybody because the roast really was an excuse to get up there and be racist, you know, but in a funny way. And, and that's 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 the greatest thing, you know. When you're joking, and, and you know, but yet you're 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 for human rights, you know, like Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin, all those guys, and they would make the jokes, but they they walked the walk, they would talk the talk, you know, and that's what they had to do, and that's what you know Frank did uh, for years, but but there's no way. Uh, well, first of all. You know, I always talk about Lenny, uh, Lenny Bruce. And so one day my, my son, who had heard of him, he, he knows my history, and I always talked about Lenny Bruce, Lenny Bruce, Lenny Bruce. He heard Lenny Bruce. He never got to joke. Not at all. He didn't think Lenny was funny at all. Because, you know, Lenny was the 50s. He was in the 50s. And he talked about... Uh, racial inequality all, all back then. And he had really good jokes about it, you know. But And, and he talked about drugs and, you know, and Lenny kept getting arrested for swearing. For swearing. And then I saw that buddy, uh, Billy Holiday movie just recently where she was getting arrested for singing a song about lynching. And they would arrest her 
That's how racist that that we grew up in that. I grew up in that 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 cloud. I'd been on the road with the with the, the Vancouver's when we played. We were playing in, in I guess in South Carolina somewhere there, and we we were about to do a a, a white only show. And and the reason I knew that was that when we pull up to a, a, to a venue there'd be a lot of little black kids out there wanting to carry your instrument. And, and you carry a few feet from the bus to the, to the dressing room and you give them a few bucks, you know, or antics to the show. And so we pulled up, little guy carries my bag. And, and I said, do you want uh, tickets to the show? And he said, Oh, we're not allowed. I said, what? He said, Oh no, it's, you know, like white only. It, it's a black show. It's Motown. I said, what? And I think it was, uh, uh, what's the name? Smokey Robinson headlining and then Diana Ross. <coughs> and so I, I don't know who I bitched to, but I, I did some major bitching, you know, and, and, I, and I said, you know, hey, the news got to know about this. And so they said, they, 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 they had black people in the show. Now, they weren't sitting with the white people. They, were in the, they weren't in the front, never in the front row, but, but they, had, they had to mix that, that. Because I think it was even against the law, you know, to, to divide like that. But, yeah, I've been, I've been there, and I've I, I seen that. It's funny, I was the only non-black guy to bitch about it. Because if you're black and you start making noises like that, man, you get singled out, you know? And not only that, you get lynched. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a trip. And, and me not being black, I could do that. I could, I could stand up and say, hey, you know, that's, that's not right. But, but now, whew. Uh, yeah, I, I'm afraid, I, really, I'm afraid to go back on the road. You know, as uh, with Cheech and Chong, you know, I don't think we will. I mean, that is definitely one of the more interesting things because, again, the timeline from where you guys started to where you are now, going through all of this stuff, whether it be you know racial stuff or you know kind of getting you know the quote unquote cancel culture these days when it came to stuff that you guys were doing to see how much that's evolved over time is amazing. Yeah. And I wish we had more time to talk about it. I know you got a, we got a few minutes here. I did want to get to one story though, in particular. Uh, I'd regret regret it if I didn't ask you about it. Uh, fact or fiction? Is it true that you cleared the chamber on a six foot bong on stage at a Snoop Dogg concert? <laughs> yeah, I did. I paid the price, but I sure did. He had an up and smoke tour. Because it was called up in smoke, you know, here's Tommy Chong, and, and with the six foot bomb. Uh, there's a group in, in uh, Detroit, I forget the name, come on. Anyway, they wrote a song called uh, Six Foot Tommy Chong and Six Foot Bomb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did, I did, and uh, I will never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It's like, because to get the smoke up there, you really got to have some, some lungs, and, and I did, and, and I paid the price. But I got the cheers, you know, everybody cheered, yay! <laughs> but, oh, my God, I almost passed out. What, what, what compelled you to want to do the entire bond? Uh, the crowd. Yeah. You know. You know, I dare you. You know that that right. I dare you, and so that's when You're you get stupid. Kids call it. That, 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 that's <laughs> when you get stupid. Oh yeah, <laughs> watch this. <laughs> Here, hold my beer. Watch this. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, that that's incredible, man. And and again, thanks so much for being gracious enough to take the past hour out of your time. Uh, to talk to me here. You got obviously good vibes CBD that you're promoting. Uh, is there yeah. anywhere, anywhere we can find that uh, moving forward, whether it be on social media? Oh, I think I think uh, you can get online. Get, uh, 
Uh, no, I think it's get Tommy Chong CBD or get CBD from Tommy Chong. There's something in there. Uh, it's got CBD and Tommy Chong and get. <laughs> it's in there somewhere. Uh, that's that's what they give me. I, I'm the worst guy because, you know, I'm computer illiterate. Uh, you know, but I have kids and I have grandkids that can help me, you know. And I love it. They don't teach you. They just grab your phone out of your hand and do it for you and hand it back. No patience. No, patience. no but, but hey, listen, people right now, you say anything, and if, and if they want to verify it, my wife does it all the time. I said something. She takes her phone up and looks at, oh, oh you're right, or no, you're wrong. Uh, so if you want to find Tommy Chung CBD bad enough, you'll find it. <laughs> but we'll, we'll get it right. We'll promote it right. We, we got I, a I studio hope. here as well. We'd love to promote it for you if you ever wanted to. Oh, I'd appreciate that, man. That'd be amazing. I, I'm looking to, to do a podcast or some kind of show. And, uh, and uh, I, I want to put the art into, into it because I'm, I'm, I've always been interested in art, uh, either looking at it or doing, making it, you know, I, I, I have that to, uh, I have to train myself now. I, I'm more of an assembly line kind of, uh, worker, you know, just get it done and get it out. Uh, but art, you don't have to do that. You can take your, you can take your time. <laughs> and uh, I've been making all kinds of uh, smoking devices, mostly you know pipes and that. And I'm and I'm going to start offering them. I'm thinking of doing sort of like a shopping a shoppers network thing with my art. You know, I I, I want to use art to uh, further help uh, the world, you know, not just our, our, our America, but the whole world, because we are you know, all connected, you know. And what happens in the shithole countries affect us in the nice countries, you know. And so I, uh, I want, that's what I want to do with my, with, 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 uh, with my time now. Because, you know, it, it's kind of run out with, the, with Cheech and Chong as far as performing, you know. Because right now, if Cheech and I entered a lookalike contest, we'd come in maybe ninth. Because <laughs> we've evolved. Like I said, we're almost that butterfly. He said, maybe it's, maybe it's a reversal. Maybe we're almost that slug. You know? <laughs> we're almost that caterpillar. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well, you're a man of many talents, then. It's awesome to see you constantly evolve and try out different things. Well, it's the only way to, to stay interested. Yeah. I think, I think people leave this plane of existence when they become really too bored. Yeah. You know, and then it's, oh, okay. And then the rest of your body goes, yeah, I'm bored, too. Okay, let's, let's call it quits. Okay, you ready? Okay. Heart attack or stroke? What do you think? Nah, what's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because we're only here temporary, you know. But our souls, our spirits are eternal. And uh, and that's who we really are. That's it, when, and, and that's why I found out, I, I, I found out quite early in life, you know, how the power of the spirit. Because mm -hmm. that's all power. Is, is spiritual, you know, all power. And that which isn't was never made. That is deep stuff, man. I'm glad that, again, that we got the chance to do this and kind of talk about some, whether it be, you know, some of the stories that you told or stuff like that, where it's just kind of like a lot of more, more people out there need to be, you know, more open-minded and, you know, have that thought process. Because things would be, I feel like, a lot easier mentally moving forward for a lot of people if they just kind of like opened up, let some stuff go, and just realize who's really in charge. You know? Yeah. Well, there's there's different categories of, of people. You know, people that are, you know, and we need them all. By the way, if you want to look at at uh, at how society is, study the animal kingdom because we are of the animal kingdom. You know, or study an anthill. 
When I was a kid, you know, I lived in the country, and every once in a while we'd come across a big anthill. Now, the older kids, they're the thing with the kick it, destroy it, you know. Well, my thing was to watch you rebuild it. And that was, that was incredible. You know, I'm a big nature studier because I grew up, you know, that was my friends. We never had a lawn. We had a field. <laughs> and in that field, there's all sorts of creatures that lived there. Now, you never saw them because they would disappear. But if you sat there and quietly for long enough, they'd come out. Mm-hmm. And uh, like uh, that's how I learned how to uh, scuba dive. You know, my brother was a scuba diver and he lived right on the ocean. And I would take his equipment and put it on. And I'd go down about 10, 15 feet. And I'd put a rock on my lap and I'd just sit there. And then, then the ocean would come, come alive. You know, because I became one of the parts of the ocean. And so then all sorts of the fish would come around. They'd look at me and swim by. And then they'd do their job. You know, they'd be hunting food. And, and, and there's a whole world. And we're just part of it. We're just part of it. And now, we're in a better position than, than a lot of them because we, we can help them. You know, like the pandemic uh, really helped a lot of the wildlife. I've got a whole fucking family of skunks living in, <laughs> in my yard. <laughs> and thank God my poodle, uh, my, my son's poodle attacked one one time a couple of years ago, got sprayed. But my, my poodle, ga- Captain, he's smart enough. He, he'll bark at him, but he stays in his distance. He knows. But, yeah, the, the, the whole planet needed to shut down. And, and, and they're tried it because of it. Everything happens, and there's always a reason for it. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I mean, again, I wish you the best of luck in everything you got moving forward. And again, thanks for being gracious enough to take the last hour out of your day, man. It was a blast talking to you. Easily one of my favorite interviews. Uh, this was episode 362 of the podcast with Tommy Chong. Enjoy the rest of your day, man. Take care, brother. We'll see you again. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.